0: In the context of the gospel, Jesus redefines family that brings about this value of care and love and support that is so much greater than anything else that it's almost like there's no turning back. Why would I want anything else other than this? This is what matters. This has eternal significance. In fact, what Jesus says in Mark chapter three, who are my brothers and my mother? Who, who are they? It's kind of a scandalous and rather offensive thing to say for Jesus in that culture as a Jewish person because in the Jewish family, bloodlines are everything.
1: Happy November, my friends, and welcome back to the Life Church Canton podcast. We are right in the middle of our series called Family Matters. Um, this week is week number three. If you haven't checked out, the other episodes in this series, I encourage you to go back. They're all up on the podcast. Um, in fact, we have a series going back all the way to our Easter series called Cross Equals Love, and I encourage you to check all those out. Um, there's a lot of content in there that you guys can devour. Um, so this week, Jared is talking about a lot about adoption, and he's sharing some personal stories about his wife Danny, and I think it's a powerful message. Um, so I think you guys are gonna enjoy it. Um, next week will be the last week of our, our series Family Matters, so make sure you tune in for that as well. All right, here's Jared. Enjoy the message.
0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Life Church. My name is Jared, and I am one of the pastors here. And it is good to be with you. I want to say hello to anybody who's streaming on Facebook Live at any point throughout the message. If you want to put a comment in or you want to connect with us, uh, you can do that online, and we'd love to be able to connect with you as well. Thanks for being here. We are in a series called Family Matters, and this is the third week of the series. If this is your first time here, I want to say a special welcome to you, but just to catch you up to speed, in the first week of this series uh, of Family Matters, we talked about this idea that we all have a family of origin that has shaped us, regardless of the family that you came from, uh, you have a family of origin, and it shaped who you are and sort of who you're becoming, and sometimes that has a negative impact On you, And so we said, it's never too late to change. It's never too late to change. We look to God to make that change. And then in the second week, if you were here, uh, you heard from Pastor Daniel who talked about this idea that there is no such thing as a perfect family. Everybody agree with that? No such thing as a perfect family. But at the root of that is this brokenness that the Bible refers to, that God refers to as, as sin. And there's this separation, there's this sort of chasm that's between us and what it means to have a right relationship with God. And yet God, in His mercy and in His grace and in His love, makes it possible for us to be in relationship with Him, to overcome that sin and that brokenness and that imperfection. And so now what we're going to talk about is what does it look like then in our families uh, to have that sort of Christ-centered family environment? What, uh, what does it look like uh, to be part of a Christ-centered family? How does Jesus define family. And so we're going to go right to the source. If you have a Bible, you normally bring a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 3. Now, if you're new here or you're watching online, you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we always have the scripture on the screens, and so you're able to follow along in that way as well. So Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 31. Then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Sort of a strange passage here. If you've never seen this before, you'd be like, what in the world is he talking about? Who is he talking about, and, and, and why would he say that to his family who's just standing right outside? What a, what a weird thing to say. And what we're seeing here is that Jesus gives a brand new definition for family in that culture. Jesus redefines family, and it's more than just biology. We're going to talk about that more in just a second, but first I want to get us thinking uh, a little bit more about our families, maybe give you an example. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever had a bad day with your family? That's probably an understatement, right? Anybody had a bad day? Uh, for those of you who are parents, you ever had just just one of your kids? It's just a bad day, like just nothing seems to go right. You want to raise it? No, don't raise your hand if your kid is sitting next to you. That's Okay. Some of us have had bad days. I had one of these bad days. I'll just give you a a, a small example. I have three kids, uh, Jude, Cora, and Lena. They're nine, seven, and seven. That's twins, yes. Don't do the math. Uh, Don't try to figure that out. We're not that frisky. No, we have... um, Jude, Cora, and Lena, and, and we were having one of those days where it was just kind of a bad day with Lena. Now, I got permission from her to tell this story, so uh, don't report me or anything like that. She was fine with me telling this story, and what had happened was is we were kind of you know, running some errands for the day, and it was just me and the three kids, and, and I was trying to get them to keep on moving. You know, as you do for parents of young kids, it's always, you're just always trying to keep them on task, and, uh, and so we were trying to go to the next place. Well, we had to get to the car from this building and there's this giant parking lot, there's no cars there, it's just our cars, and so to to make it fun, to make a game out of it, I decide, well, okay, we're gonna race to the car, here we go, you know, bribing your kids to try to make it fun just to get to the next spot. So we run to the car and Jude and Cora are following me just fine, but Lena is not so much because, you know, we're having a bad day. And so the two kids get in the car and and I'm in the car and we get all buckled up and I look back and Lena's just still just hanging out, just taking her sweet little time. And uh, and I decide, okay, well, this is a great opportunity because we're not in that big of a hurry uh, that I could make Make this a teaching opportunity, and so I, I look back, and there's there's nobody in this parking lot, and so I decide, okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna drive a little bit, I'm gonna drive away a little bit. Now, don't report me to <laughs> child protective services, okay? Listen to the whole story, all right? And so we get in the car and. And, and I drive like maybe three or four feet away. I'm driving very slow and I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this is, this is going to work out great because then I'm going to look back and she's going to be running and crying. No, daddy, don't leave me. And so I do, I do this. I drive a, a, a few feet and I look back and what, what, where, where Lena was walking at about this pace uh, turned into instead this pace. My five-year-old at the time had learned the spiritual gift of sarcasm, apparently, and decided to make a game out of it. So of course, I have to stop, get out of the car, get her in, and okay, let's go. So Lena, one, daddy, zero, right? Totally lost. Have you ever tried to play these games with your kids, and then you, it totally backfires? Yeah, we, we've had bad days. And some of you are like, you call that a bad day? that's like, that's a piece of cake. That's easy for me. Some of us have had all different kinds of days, and it, it drives us sometimes crazy. It drives us to do weird things. It, it maybe increases the anger within us from time to time. I talked about that in the first week of this series, that so I dealt with some, some anger, right? And we, we react to these things in a lot of different ways as families. Family have, have just a weird way of, of creating this within us. Some of us, and I know this, some of us in the room or some of us watching online even, Maybe we've been hoping and praying to expand our family, just wishing for a bad day or a good day with kids. That can be a challenging place, but regardless of where you're coming from, whatever kind of family you are in, we've had some bad days. There's bad days. I want to talk about some bad days in the ancient world with ancient families. About 2,000 years ago, the time of Jesus, the time that we typically talk about, especially as it relates to the scriptures. In the ancient world, there was an understanding of family. Now, in that world, especially in the Middle East and and north of that area, was heavily influenced by Greco-Roman society. Greek and Roman culture influenced this, this region, and so because of that influence, what came out of that was this value, this core value of survival of the fittest, right? Like the strongest ones survive. And, and the strongest ones, it's not just in terms of your physical strength, but your, your appearance, how you look matters. Uh, your intellect is important. So education is extremely important in a Greco-Roman society. And so all of these things contribute to you and your status, in a Greco-Roman-influenced world, in that culture. Now, if you are born without those things, without the good appearance, without all of the, the, the perfections that, that would be held as a high standard in that culture, uh, then, then it was a problem. Then that, in the ancient world, was a bad day. That was a bad day. So if anything outside of that, maybe you were born with a defect or a deformity, or the, the baby cried too much, or the parents didn't have enough money for, uh, to raise the child, or uh, if there was any kind of other issue with the child, or they were born illegitimately, then that was a bad day for that family. Because what that meant in that culture, in a Greco-Roman influenced culture, is that, well, you must have done something to deserve that. You as the parents, because you had this, defective, illegitimate child, well, that must mean that the gods are upset with you. They're displeased with you. And so in order to make it right with the gods, in order for you to be in good standing with the gods, well, then you got to do something with the child. You, you should probably just get rid of them. It was very common in this culture. You would get rid of the child. It was a practice called infanticide. which was just a really fancy word for murder of infants. Because what, what would happen is you would literally take this child to the dump, to the city trash, outside of the city, and you would leave them there to die. Or, or you had another option, you could take them to a designated place where other people would come along and take them as slaves. So you had two choices, either leave them to die where they're going to die, or leave them to become slaves infanticide. Now, that seems like a barbaric, primitive idea, but it's not all that ancient of a concept, right? It's a modern one too. And maybe the motivations are a little bit different, and maybe the the science is a little bit more sophisticated, but the outcomes are still the same in our culture. Nonetheless, I want to talk about what would happen if a child would end up in this designated area where you could go and you could take one of these children to raise them as a slave. Now you wouldn't raise them to be part of your family and to care for them and to love them and to support them in that way. No, you were raising them to be property and they would be used and in some cases abused. And so you would raise this child in that way. Now if you were one of those children that were raised in that way, you were raised to be a slave in a Greco-Roman influenced society, what would that be like for you? What story would you wonder about, about your life and how you came to be in this situation? What names have you been given? Maybe it's slave, unwanted, illegitimate, not good enough for the Greco-Roman gods. Think of all the different narratives that you would have in your mind and in your heart. What would you think about yourself? What have others told you about who you are what a horrible situation to be in a horrible understanding of who you are in the world but then imagine you grow up a little bit more and you begin to hear about these new gatherings that are forming in your village or your community or your city and these gatherings are filled with all different kinds of people they, they, they come from all different kinds of backgrounds, and, and there are some who, who have deformities and would seem defective or illegitimate in some cases, and then even right alongside with them are, are wealthy people as well, and, and they happen to be meeting together, these different Classes and categories are all mixing together, and the way that they treat each other is just beautiful. They, they seem to genuinely care for one another, and they, they feed each other, and, and they don't acknowledge any of the Greco-Roman gods in that culture. Instead, they only acknowledge just, just one god, and they actually worship this god, and you begin to wonder, well, maybe, maybe that's connected to the way that they treat each other, and that's really attractive, and that's really contagious, and And I wonder what that's about. And I wonder, I'm one of these slaves. I'm one of these defective, unwanted people. Maybe I might be be welcomed into this group. And so you decide you're going to go check it out. And so you, you hear about where this group meets, and you go, and you meet with this group, and they're in this home, and they're all gathering together, and sure enough, it's, it's defective people, it's wealthy people, it's people from different backgrounds, and they're all coming together, and immediately you come in, and you're, you're immediately greeted, you're welcomed, and you're, you're hugged even, and then you're fed, and people are talking, and they seem like they genuinely care about one another. And then one person stands up and says, hey, we've received a letter from our good brother Paul. Paul. Everybody sits down to listen to this letter. You sit down and you begin to hear these words, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ, to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Can you imagine being one of these illegitimate, unwanted, defective, deformed slaves brought into this gathering of people and hearing these words said to you for the first time. Think about the words that you would hear. Father chose us. Adopt us. Family gave him great pleasure. What would these words do to you if you're one of these people in this society? How might that change you? How might that transform you? Or what about you? What what about the names that you've been given? Unwanted, not good enough, rich, poor, fat, ugly, skinny, handsome, whatever titles you've been given And then to begin to hear this, a redefined family that you're a part of, that you were chosen for, that you were adopted into. What might that do to you? And it's not just the names that these people have been given, but it's the the categories that get all blown up. See, because Jesus redefines family. And the names are important because they they dictate the direction of your life and they determine the outcomes of your life. But it's not just the names, it's also the categories. And so Paul, who writes this letter to the Ephesians that I just read, writes another letter to another church in another city called Galatia where they're having an issue with these categories and they're beginning to get a little tribalistic and that if you're a Jewish person, well, then it means something. And if you're not, well, then that's, that's an issue. And so you've got to become Jewish. And so Paul writes to them and says, no, 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 no. We're, we're not about the categories anymore. In fact, he says, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the common denominator here. There's no more names, there's no more categories, there's no more tribes, there's no more insiders and outsiders anymore. And he specifically appeals to, in the Galatians, the the Gentiles, the women, the slaves. Gentiles were the non-Jewish people, the, the people that weren't part of the Hebrew Israelite tradition. The chosen people of God, what we understand from the Old Testament is this idea, the status that they had garnered over time is that they, they were the chosen. They were the, sort of the elite ones of God. And, and God says, no, 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 that's not what this is going to be like. This is going to be for all people. And Gentiles had been on the outside, seemingly, of God's plan but Jesus comes and he redefines what family is all about. And then Paul begins to extend this ministry to the Gentiles. He says, no, you're, you're part of this thing now too. For the women who were considered second-class citizens in a very male-dominated society now are no longer not just not second-class citizens, but now they are a part of what God is doing. They're part of the kingdom of God. In fact, it's reminiscent of, even in Jesus' ministry, where he allows Mary, a woman, to sit at his feet and to learn his teaching and to become a disciple of Jesus. And then further on, in Paul's ministry, he has women joining him in his ministry and participating in the preaching and the sharing of the gospel. This is radical in this society where women had no place, and now they do. It's the slaves. This isn't their status anymore. Now, I need to make this distinction, because I think this is important to understand. For those of us who understand what slavery is like in the history of America, that's a, that's a different picture from what we see in the slavery of the Bible. It was probably more like indentured servitude. Some, some would even choose that as a lifestyle. Uh, some of them might have gotten into that because of the, uh, the fact that they were one of those children that were dropped off in these designated places and raised as slaves. And in some cases even, you could eventually earn your freedom out of that. You could get out of that indentured servitude. But the, the fact still remains that it's, it's not a lifestyle that necessarily uh, brings a lot of luxury or a lot of peace a lot of hope for the future, and in a lot of ways you were still considered property. And Paul says none of those categories exist anymore because we are all one. Because of who? Because of Jesus. Because he redefines family. And Paul is very specific to use this word, adopt. He adopted us into his own family. Now, you and I, we have a, a, an image of adoption that we have from a modern context, and that's good, and that's, that's partially what we're talking about, but it's deeper than that. See, uh, the word adopt in, in the Scriptures here in Ephesians and then another place in Romans and Galatians, the word there is a Greek word, huiothasia. Uh, sorry for spitting on the people in the front rows. Sorry. That's why some of you watch online, because you know Jared's going to spit. It's this this greater and deeper uh, terminology and and definition of what adoption is. It's this idea that not only are you just contractually now part of this family, but it's so much greater than that. It, It was... A, a way of communicating that regardless of your family of origin even if you had a loving biological family huothesia communicates it's as though you you don't have a family regardless of your family of origin your temporary natural family in fact it's only through Christ that now you actually have an eternal family of significance only in Christ now you have a true family Kriothesia, an eternal family that deeply loves you and cares for you and does anything for you, sacrifices for you. It's the ultimate you belong. Kriothesia is the ultimate you belong. This is why this is so core to who we are as Life Church. We put you belong on a sign. We didn't think "huiōthēsia" would roll off the tongue as much as you belong, so we went with you belong instead of the Greek word. This is the ultimate you belong. Adoption communicates something of eternal significance. Now, that's not to say that if you have a loving biological family that you came from, that you should somehow love them any less. No, that's not what we're talking about. But in terms of eternity, only in Christ, only because of Christ, are we it into something that is far greater than our earthly families. My wife, uh, Danielle, she goes by Danny. So if you ever see her, you can call her Danny. I get to call her Danielle, and that's the privilege of being her husband. So there you go. She was adopted. And she was about two weeks old at the time, and so obviously she doesn't have any recollection of any experience before that point, but she was adopted by Tim and Cindy. And so uh, she was part of this family, it's all she's ever known, and they were loving and supporting and caring of her, they provided for her all of her needs. She was uh, brought into this family in 1984, that's why the pictures look like that, so young people in the room, you're like, what, why wasn't this taken with an iPhone? Uh, that's what that looks like, Sorry. Shag, carpet, and everything. <laughs> and so she's brought into this family, and as she grew up, uh, obviously she looks a little bit different than her family. She, we don't know a ton about her uh, biological background, but we know that there is some Southeast Asian uh, heritage in her. And so she doesn't look like her parents, and so naturally people would bring up the question, well, uh, so what's your story? Like, uh, you're adopted, right? Okay, so have you ever wanted to meet your real parents? And her response was always, Tim and Cindy are my real parents. Well, yeah, 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 we know, but like, you're your biological parents. Would you ever want to like find out who they are and try to meet them? And her response, and it's unique to her, but she would say, why? Why would I ever want to, to go outside of what I've already known? I've known my whole life absolute love and dedication and commitment and care and support for for me, from Tim and Cindy. Tim and Cindy are my real parents. Why would I ever want to think about any other alternative? Now I get that because of her adoption story, it's, it's unique to her. But it causes me to think. In the context of the gospel, Jesus redefines family that brings about this value of care and love and support that is so much greater than anything else that it's almost like there's no turning back why would i want anything else other than this this is what matters this has eternal significance in fact what jesus says in mark chapter 3 who are my brothers and my mother who who are they It's kind of a scandalous and rather offensive thing to say for Jesus in that culture as a Jewish person because in the Jewish family, bloodlines are everything. It defines your importance in the community. It defines your identity and who you are. It matters what's in your bloodline. But see, Jesus says, no, it's not about that. And that would have been incredibly offensive in that culture, in that time, in that place. He says, no, no, whoever does the will, of God, that's my brother and sister and mother, that's my family, that's my true family. Jesus kind of blows this thing up in their face. Family had almost become an idolatrous thing, where that's what you do, that's where you put all of your importance, that's where you put all of your energy, and Jesus says, no, 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 there's something so much greater, so much more eternal the net. Jesus says that family is greater than any bloodline, any contract, any piece of paper, any name, any category. It's this idea that you have been into something beyond just your regular family. Some of you know the real life experience of adoption. And so these verses in Ephesians pack a punch for you. They're meaningful to you. You recognize the weight of what that does for you. And so there's power there, but regardless of what your family is, your background, whatever your family of origin is, your, your, your family situation, these verses, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, are, are fundamental to this idea that you belong regardless of where you're coming from, regardless of what your family situation is, that in Christ you belong because you have been into something eternal outside of your own control out of his great love, out of his pleasure to do so. I want to reread these verses from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 one more time and see if you can't pick up on some emphasis here. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. Am I making myself clear here? Your belonging does not depend on you. Anything that you have done that you think would separate you from from the family of God, anything that you have done or have left undone does not determine your belonging in Christ. You are part of a family of God. No matter what your earthly family looks like, you belong. You are huiopheseed into something eternal, something that lasts. Your belonging doesn't depend on you. Now, my wife has said of her adoption, she looks back at her experience, how much love and support and care that she's received from her parents, and she thinks, it's not really fair that I received this, that I was as fortunate in this situation where others weren't necessarily. And so she is so grateful for that experience. And she recognizes as she thinks back and reflects on her experience of adoption is that she had no control over the situation. It was all her parents. Her parents were the ones that were organizing this, that were financing this, that were coordinating this. They brought her into their family without her doing anything. How much more does our Heavenly Father Adopt us into his family. How much more does he pour out his grace, his riches, his love, his organizing and coordinating? In fact, he pays a costly price, the price of his own son, Jesus, so that you and I can be part of the family of God. So what now for us? What now? What might that cause us to do? And how might that cause us to respond? Well, some of us think about the church as our family. That's why we call it a church family. Are you part of a church family? You might have a loving biological family that you are part of, and that's great. But there is something so much more significant and eternal that we all get to be a part of in the church. That's why we continue to meet weekly and gather together and share with each other and be vulnerable with one another. Because there's something eternal and significant about it because we have been huiopheseed into something beyond just us. Be part of the family. Invest in this family. Come together with all of your warts and deformities and defectiveness and illegitimacy and wealth and riches and everything else in between. Be part of the family. But also, right here and right now, we respond. I want to show you how Paul responds to what he says after he talks about this adoption and that it gave him great pleasure to bring us into the family. This is what he says in verse 6. So we praise God. We praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who, what's that word? belong to his dear son. Amen? Amen? Amen. Some of you don't know this belonging. You haven't experienced this. Maybe you're brand new to the church. Maybe this is the last chance you're giving the church, you're giving to God, you're giving to the Bible because you've been burned in the past. And I just want to say I'm sorry. If you have been burned by the church, burned by your, the stories that you've heard about God, I want to say I'm sorry that you have not heard an accurate depiction of the Father who loves you deeply. And there, there is nothing that you could do so bad that would keep you from his love and keep you from, his, from your sense of belonging. We believe you belong because of Christ. Not because of anything that we can do, but simply because of Christ. And so I want to urge you, to call out to him, to cry out to God and to say, God, I need you. And so I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you please stand? I want us to pray together. And if you would like to commit your life to God and to follow Jesus for the first time, you might pray something like this. God, I am broken. I am in need of your love and your grace in my life. And even though I have a family or I don't have a family that loves me, I want to be part of a family that has has eternal significance. I want to be part of your family. And so, God, I turn from my brokenness and I step into your family. And I want to follow you, Jesus, with my life. I want to praise you. God, thank you that you have adopted us into something that is greater than we could have ever imagined. And so I pray for those of us who have already committed our lives to you that we would have a sense of recommitment to the family of God, that we would reinvest ourselves into this family. Help us by your spirit to do that with love and with grace. God, shine light in the dark areas where we have made our own immediate families almost an idol where we have separated ourselves from everybody else. And God, bring us into a more collective family where we can love one another and support one another. We can do whatever it takes, go wherever it takes us so that everybody knows that they belong.
1: Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more information about Life Church Canton or other churches in the Life Church Network, text I'm new to 734 349 3475 or fill out the form linked in the show notes below and someone from the church will reach out to you with more information. If you came to Life Church for the first time this past weekend, we would love to know about it. We believe that life isn't meant to be lived in isolation, but we want to connect with you and learn to live like Jesus in community together. If you want to email the show, you can do that at podcast at lifechurchcanton.org. You can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're enjoying it, please share it with someone and leave us a review. Once again, my name is Sam Parham, and you've been listening to the Life Church Canton podcast. Have a great week, everybody.